Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Prey, directed by Dan Trachtenberg and written by Dan Trachtenberg, Patrick Azen, and based on characters by Jim Thomas. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include blood and gore, and our hosts rank this movie as scary. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes and a transcript of this episode. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. I wish art didn't take so much time. We all do. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Mood. Everybody on this call, 100%. Yeah. All right, that's enough shop talk. Should we dive into Prey? Let's do it. Yeah, right. let us pray. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about a brand new movie in a franchise that's been with us through the 80s, but dare I say, this may be the best movie in the franchise yet. It's Prey. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and Cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? There's no may about it. This is the best movie in the franchise. Holy shit, this movie rules. Time to fight on Twitter. And the cinnamon roll of Yeah, bite me, bro. Our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm great. I'm with you, Ben. I'm going to fight with you all back to back. This is the best Predator movie. It's even better than Predator the Musical. Ooh, a tough oh, call. Is that a musical? Oh, man, that rules. They're all musical in their own way. And our guest, award-winning comic book writer and current writer of Savage Avengers and Fantastic Four at Marvel Comics, it's David Peepos. David, how are you? Hi, uh, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. And yeah, uh, Prey ruled. I'm very excited to talk about it and to talk about all things Predator. Yeah, we are psyched as hell to have you here, buddy. There were Thank there were you. two big like horror movies that came out this weekend that I'd really been looking forward to. One was this, and the other one sucked. So <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie because Krang are some serious fucking body horror in that one. Yeah, no, I'm I'm talking about they them, which might be one of oh, the yeah, worst no. movies I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. um, I think we're not going to cover it on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I would would not recommend. Anyway, that is not the movie we're talking about. We're talking about Prey. Uh, now, before we jump into general discussion of the movie, uh, Ben, you've got the recap on this one. So uh, let's hear what you have to say. Prey is directed by Dan Trachenberg and is starring Amber Midthunder, Dakota Beavers, uh, Michelle, Michelle Frush, Dormy Kip, uh, Julian Black Antelope, and Dane Deliergro. Prey is set in 1719 in the Great Plains region and focuses on Naru, a Comanche healer and tracker who longs to be a warrior and hunter like her brother Tabe. Naru likes to practice axe throwing with her dog Sari, who is just the best doggy. Naru tries to hunt a deer, but fails because it's only act one of the movie and we have character arcs to get through. We also get introduced to the true monster of the movie, white people, when Sari gets hurt in a metal trap. Naru sees a thunderbird fall from the sky, but we know it's really a predator ship because that's when the title card appears. Naru takes the sign that her trial as a hunter has arrived, and when a mountain lion injures one of the tribe members, she joins a hunting party to save the injured person and kill the lion. They find him, and Tabe goes off to hunt the lion, 
But Naru suspects there's more going on when she finds a snake that was killed by the predator and big-ass footprints. She finds Tabe and helps come up with a plan to bait the lion, and it works, kinda. A real jerk of a hunter gets mauled to death, and Naru falls out of the tree and has to be rescued and brought back to the village by Tabe, who has made the new war chief. Naru, though, knows there's something still out there and insists on hunting it. Predator continues his campaign to punch all the animals by getting into a samurai duel with a wolf, which he wins because otherwise the movie would be over and you just have like a cool wolf hanging around. Meanwhile, Naru leaves the village to hunt the predator and trains by tying a rope to her axe and learning how to be scorpion. On her trek, Naru finds a bunch of skin buffalo because the real monsters are the French, just like in real life, and falls into Chekhov's bog. Naru later finds a big-ass bear and totally fails to hunt it. The bear is about to wreck her shit when the bear gets challenged by Predator. They fight, and then Predator punches the bear in the face so hard that it dies. Predator sees Naru and is like, nah, not a threat, and lets her get away. She runs into a group of douchey tribesmen and also Sanguinette from Shorzy, and they try to force her to return to the village. Fortunately for us and the plot, Predator soon comes and murders the fuck out of the douchey tribesmen. Sanguinette from Shorzy survives slightly longer, but also gets the fuck murdered out of him. And if you don't know who Sanguinette from Shorzy is, then give your balls a tug, tit fucker. That's a Letterkenny reference. The white people who capture Naru are as awful as you'd imagine they'd be, and we learn the trappers are being hunted by Predator, and that they've captured Saru and Tabe, who they lightly torture. The next morning, Naru and Tabe are tied to a trunk in a burnt forest as bait for Predator, but Predator is Predator and starts slaughtering the trappers instead. Oh, Rupert Touche, hoisted by my own petard. <laughs> it is awesome, raddest ass scene in the movie. It's cool. Naru and Tabe reconcile, he calls her awesome, and then he drops the iconic if, if it bleeds. We can kill it. Because this movie fucking rules, y'all. Naru and Tabe free themselves, and Naru rescues Sari from the trespassers by being a total action hero badass. Then she gets the Predator 2 Easter egg gun. When Predator goes to camp to kill the remaining trappers, Tabe attacks him and kicks the Predator's ass because Tabe is a hardcore warrior badass. Hollywood, if you don't cast Dakota Beavers as Nightwolf in the Mortal Kombat sequel, what the fuck are you doing? Meanwhile, Predator decides he actually doesn't want to fight honorably after all now that he's losing and instead turns invisible so he can dramatically kill Tabe. Naru runs off and later captures a surviving trapper to use as bait for Predator. Naru is now armed with key observations, like Predator can't see you if you make blood-cold medicine, how the helmet controls Predator's ranged weapons, and gun! Predator takes a truly unbelievable amount of punishment fighting Naru, then gets thrown into the bog where we get a reverse Schwarzenegger rising from the mud. Predator fires his flechette weapon, but Naru has arranged his helmet, so it's aiming at his own head, and Predator gets fucking murked by his own weapon. Naru returns to the tribe and is made the new war chief, and then a post-credit scene reveals that three more Predator ships came from the sky, like, immediately. The end. If I was those Predator ships, I'd be like, well done. You got him with, like, a rope and some rocks and his own shit. For real, though. I mean, they also had one musket. Yeah. yeah. Again, like, a full I, musket. <laughs> I yeah. love how much punishment the Predator got. Like, not that he is this invincible, implacable, unstoppable monster like Terminator or Michael Myers. Like, he is clearly being hurt, but he is just so unrelenting and just fights through what is like pain and damage. Like, no. he gets shot through the eye, 
loses like an arm, gets bitten, stabbed, like speared, shot with a bunch of arrows, like, and he just keeps fucking going. Now, all of that is true, but on the front of him being or not being an unstoppable monster, he does gorilla press slam a grizzly bear in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) And it's awesome. Picks it up over his head and slams it down. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I love Predator in the beginning of this movie, like, not even knowing humans are a thing. And his attitude is just like, I'm going to sit around and wait to see which animals kill other animals. And then I'm going to kill the killer animals. I feel like the Predator's whole kit has some kind of like XP unlocking system going on because he keeps killing like slightly bigger, more dangerous animals. Where he like kills the snake and he's like, oh shit, this thing's this thing's all vertebrae. I don't do I get extra for no shit. Okay. Now, wolf. And then finally he starts using his like UFO razors or whatever. But I do want to talk about the predator because predator. Is it about how sexy it is? I mean, he's sexy, yeah. Oh, monster fuckers. You are in for a treat with this new Predator design. But he's a total Chad, and he has absolutely no... Like, I know Predators, we have, like, Predators fight with a system. Sometimes we say a system with honor. This is big game hunting. There is no honor. This dude is, like, on top of an elephant shooting at tigers. Is that how hunting works? Do they get on top of the elephants? Because I gotta say, that hunting is cooler than I thought. Old, well, old big game hunting, like in, in India and stuff, like a lot of the stuff that was really, really like exoticized and like the British would go to India and sit on the back of an elephant and be like, look, a tiger, let's explode it. Very similar to how these French trappers go. And they're like, oh, look, at buffalo, let's like shoot them in the head and then take their skin and then be like, cool, goodbye. I, my first thought was when we got to the, like the buffalo scene, I did for a bit thought oh that was predator fighting buffalo in his animal tournament ranking ladder that was a little excessive predator and then a little bit later i'm like oh no white people way worse yeah way more monstrous the real monsters are the french people we met along the way yeah i kind of liked how like i think from the moment you see the predator you're kind of like oh yeah that honor code is like out the window like just seeing the way that the fight with the wolf was shot um, and even the fight with the bear, you're kind of like the predator is cloaked. The predator. I mean, I was talking about this with my partner when we were watching it. I was like, you know, in the other movies, you kind of see like the cloaking device as an equalizer. You know, it, when you're against Arnold and all of Arnold's people. Yeah. Or if you're against like all of the gangs in L.A., like a cloaking device, like makes sense. That's how you win. But like one on one with a wolf, like that's cheap fighting. And yeah, they kind of immediately was like, oh, I hate the Predator. Like, like he deserves exactly what he gets. I love that Tabe explicitly calls him out as a cheater. Yeah. Because, like, on the surface, I feel like the Predator doesn't escalate until his, like, prey escalates. Like, again, when he's fighting wolves and bears, he's only using, like, his wrist-mounted claws. He doesn't start using ranged weapons until, like, he goes up against bows and arrows. Right. And then it's only when he goes up against like guns and traps that he busts out like the real technology. And I feel like on the surface, it's like, oh, he's fighting at a relatively fair level. But then again, there is like, oh, as soon as Tabe is legitimately kicking his ass, he goes invisible. I, like, I think it's like, no, no fair fight, actually. I think it's interesting that like 
in in the original Predator with Arnold, like it's a series of traps. Like he catches the guys alone one at a time and you know takes them out through various means. This Predator straight up works on boss battle logic, which is like, oh, I beat him, so he's moving on to his second state. He's pulling out the <laughs> the new weapon. Now he has explosives that spin, you know, now he has another new weapon added to that. He is a thick big boy predator. I feel like predators change somewhat in size over the course of of the various movies. And uh, this is a large, large guy who, like I said, is is really pressing grizzly bears. I don't think he needs to be quite at the the rate that he does. I love like a bear charges at him and he just sidesteps and punches that bear to death in a single punch. This predator's design is so cool. The weird skull head that's all I like, love the skull alien skull. And then the fact that he it's not dreadlocks anymore. They're like spines. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of relieving because there was a lot of like, especially when you have the predator in Predator 2 and you have like all of these Jamaican drug cartel people everywhere, and then the predator with his dreadlocks. And I'm like, you guys, uh uh-uh, it's getting a little bit mm, streams are not supposed to be crossed. You know, now it is it is less evocative of dreadlocks, which as a creature designed, yeah, having tentacles come off of your head, that's cool. But then when you put it right next to like the actual like thing it's based on. <laughs> It can get a little dicey. Like in in this movie, the visual echoes in this movie were the skinning of the buffalo and then the degloving of the snake by the predator. So we we are to see that the predator is basically a bigger game hunter than the French fur trappers. And he's also like an asshole. Like he's like Jimmy Johns. I love that Predator has his own like gel. Like, he has a spray to, yeah. like, melt things down to the skull for his trophies, which, again, just makes me think, like, there has to be, like, a predator bait and tackle shop <laughs> where that's, like, your hunting accessories. That's what I'm saying is that the titular Jimmy John is a big game hunter and, like, one of those guys that goes out and, like, from a helicopter and shoots elephants or whatever. I don't know. I, this is just, I don't know. He's bad, but a, whatever the fuck Trump is doing and Trump Jr. is doing, where yeah, don't like, like it. Yeah, and I just wonder if, like, these predators back home are, like, dentists and shit, or they're, like, fucking running, like, their Papa John or whatever, and they're just, like... I mean, at minimum, you have to have, like, a predator blacksmith and a predator, like, spaceship designer. Yeah. I mean, I really think that is what sets predator, like, apart. They're not, like, monsters like the xenomorphs who just, like, live only to consume and kill and reproduce. They're not... So just over the top, evil, gory, like the Cenobites. Like this is a civilization. This is an intelligent species. They are not doing this out of a biological hunger or all-consuming need. This is a hobby. Yeah, they're they're, this is a weekend getaway for them. Yeah, like, and that's what do they do? Like the Cenobites are never not being torture sex demons. <laughs> like the. Z- like, the aliens are always being aliens. Like, what do the predators do when they're not being predators? Because they're not always predators. Like, what do like, they do? I need to see it. dentists or whatever. Well, doing, you're doing predator law stuff, and then, you know, like, the three red dots pop up, and you're like, ah, Larry, put it up. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 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 get away to Earth. 
Is there like the pred- the Elmer Fudd predator who just keeps getting like confused at which like alien species and it's like the season to hunt? That's funny. I say it's duck season and I say fire. I think he was in, um, I think I saw him in AVP. <laughs> Elmer Fudd versus Predator. Like, I want to write that so bad. <laughs> <laughs> or the like the Elmer Fudd Predator. Now that, good news, we're doing a Warner Brothers like Disney crossover. Yeah, that is, it's not the one you're expecting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> versus Predator. Oh, God. We know you've wanted a Disney comic book property and Warner Brothers comic book property crossing over. Well, here you go. <laughs> I mean, after all the Space Jam shit, I don't know if they could do it. I don't know if they're going to sign off on it, but who knows? Who knows? No, they will. Oof. They, that well, Space Jam thoroughly poisoned that well. Yeah. If but, you don't know the story, kids, Warner Brothers wanted Mickey Mouse to be the referee in Space Jam after agreeing to let Disney use Bugs Bunny in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And Disney's response was, lol, new CEO, who dis? Well, the Disney Warner Brothers Roger Rabbit thing was very specific. But yeah, predators are dicks. Predators are big game hunters and they do not fight with honor. And some movies try to make them seem like slightly honorable, but still like they're highly like technologically advanced. They got stealth. Maybe they don't know how to hear because they're always making noise. Like maybe that's part of they're their. Freaky. I love the clicky sound. Freaky. That click, the sound design in this movie is so good. Yeah, like, I mean that. Cool. How satisfying it was it every time like that axe hit a tree. Like this movie sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing too. It's a beautiful I mean, movie. Did this so, movie come out in theaters? No, it didn't. Which is wild. Like, I hope someone's being, like, just fucking keel-hauled in a Disney office or being like, what the fuck? How did this not be in theaters? Yeah. It looked great on the big screen. I don't know. Like, this this absolutely would have been a hit. There's no way this wouldn't have been a big hit. It has been... It's the biggest premiere that Hulu has ever had. So I, I don't know. It's really hard to tell because it changes month to month what anybody's prioritizing at this point. But like it's it's done amazing business for Hulu. It's easily, you know, the the biggest movie I've ever seen on Hulu. And I, I want to take a second to recognize like the things that this movie does well. I mean, because we talked about sound design, we talked about the visual design of the movie. They're both incredible. But like the really basic stuff that this movie gets right, that it's like, all right, we're gonna set this in the Great Plains and we're gonna actually hire Native American actors to do this stuff. And we're gonna do the the Comanche track is a dub, but it's still like they did it. They didn't have it's to so good. did it. And the actors so, are all amazing. And it's all these things that like you have so many of these movies, especially stuff set in Africa and anything to do with Egypt whatsoever, where like all these places are like, hey, we just couldn't find like the right people to do these things. Like, you know, we really looked and it was we looked so hard and we just couldn't find the right actors. So we hired some white guy to do it. And like. Jake Gyllenhaal is the Prince of Persia. (laughs) The two leads in this movie are incredible. Amber Mid-Thunder does some amazing action work in this. Put her in a John Wick movie. Like, give her her own, like, action franchise. Like, she's so good, Amber Mid-Thunder. And, and, like, she's she has done stuff. Like, she was in the uh, other X-Men TV show. I remembered her from Legion. Yeah, but like Dakota Beavers is brand new, apparently. Like he just hasn't done a Wait. bunch of stuff. Like, I w- no, this was his, apparently his first acting role. He's I was shocked. I was shocked. This is his I first can't. ever anything, and he's amazing. 
Yeah. They are making the Mortal Kombat sequel. How is he is not instantly like the only choice for Nightwolf? Because it's a Mortal Kombat movie. You probably are the only one dreamcasting Nightwolf in the Mortal Kombat sequel. <laughs> well, I, I did. I say we had this conversation online earlier because this was Ben's immediate reaction after watching this movie. And I was like, do you know that Amber Th- Midthunder's actual dad is the model for the character of Nightwolf? Like the, oh, the real man. Is that not the craziest fucking shit? I That's what that, that blew actually. my goddamn mind. That's awesome. Well, good for them. Make it with the character model for like the the live action or the yeah the motion cap. Yeah, for the Mortal Kombat 11 version where you know everything is is modeled on real people. His name is David Midthunder. They were both in Longmire and he's in Westworld and a bunch of other stuff as well. He's also a producer and a consultant on a bunch of stuff. But Mortal yeah. Kombat 11, if you haven't played it, was a lot of fun because it was essentially Mortal Kombat's version of Crisis on Infinite Earths or Mortal Kombat's of Future Past. <laughs> I believe you. Is that the one that had the Joker in it? No, that was Mortal Kombat versus DC. Oh, wait, no, that is no, wait, no, no, that is the one that had the Joker. Yeah. Yes, Joker was a DLC character, but then they kept advertising Mortal Kombat 11 by having people in the Arrowverse shows play it. And I kept wondering, is Joker still a DLC character on this? Because that'd be real fucking awkward. Yeah. I, I do want to say this one other thing on this that I love. Which is when the fucking French show up, the way that they handle the Comanche spoken in this movie in the standard English version is that people speaking Comanche are speaking English to us, but it is understood that they are speaking Comanche to one another. But like when the French show up, not only are they speaking French on screen, but the movie refuses to translate any of it. Even if you turn the subtitles on, the subtitles are just straight up in French. So like... If she doesn't understand any of it, you don't understand any of it. And the French are disgusting and monstrous the entire time they're on screen. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This movie handles the French the way that 1950s movies handle Native Americans. Like, the Predator is portrayed as less subhuman than these French people are. Uh, These trappers are just... But I will say, and again, this is probably... The so like the silver lining to this movie not getting a theatrical release is it did allow for the Comanche dub, which is how I watched it. I definitely recommend it. It's apparently the uh, creators only originally wanted to make it in Comanche, and then this day was like, fuck it, no, of course not. So I do appreciate again that they still got to do the Comanche dub. There are a few times, really, mo- only with like minor characters where. It's particularly notable that it's a dub, but Amber Mid Thunder and Dakota Beavers are fantastic. Like I ran through a lot of it again this morning doing my recap and I did the English version there. And yeah, they are both great and always on point in the Comanche version. And I do think it just adds another level of immersion and realism to it. So if you're able and you're curious about it, I would definitely recommend the Comanche dub. Dave, you're saying? I just can say, yeah, I mean, having the talking about the, the French people and how awful they were. Yeah, it was it was very much like a let them fight kind of thing. Like I already kind of went into the movie being like, this predator's a jerk. And, and a detail that I spotted that my partner didn't spot, and I think a lot of people have missed it on, on Twitter. You know, seeing the way that the Frenchmen kind of start creeping up on the periphery, like you have the bear trap at first with the dog, and that's all you see. And then when you see the bison or the buffalo who have been who have been skinned 
you think of it, oh, is this the predator? But then you see she picks the cigar. Mm-hmm. Which then the French guy is smoking those cigars and then has one of the buffalo skins on his back. And it's just like, oh, these guys are assholes. And then it kind of balances out in a kind of nice way where you're like, yeah, this is a fun way to fill up like the midpoint. Like, yeah, let, let them fight these two jerks. Like, let's let them wear each other down and kind of gives our heroes like a chance. A great way to let the Punisher cut loose in a context where we're kind of rooting for where we're not even kind of where we're rooting for the Predator. It's not subtle that like these these French uh, trappers are as much an invader, as much an alien presence, as much a destructive presence, if not much more so than the Predator. Our real first exposure to him is Naru finding this trap, which to her, this trap with its like metal chain is as alien and as unknown and as like dangerous as anything the Predator has going on. Yeah. I mean, uh, to his credit, the Predator is a sport hunter. Like, he killed one of each thing as he's going through, and they just straight up ravage this herd of bison. Like, they kill yeah, all yeah. of them and skin all of them and just leave the carcasses lying there. Oh, um, yeah, no. The Predator is a better person than these trappers. <laughs> well, the, the trappers Without are, a doubt. are industry guy. Like, they're out getting a product. It's like a not even a hunt so much as it is just gathering materials. The French also have technology that is incredibly advantageous against the you know herds of bison and everything. And they also have numbers and there's all, all these different factors going on with the French trappers that you know history has also shown it the way that these herds were decimated and uh, you know the resources became scarce so quickly. But the trappers were not really hunting for sport. Even like it wasn't even a point. The hunt was not the point. And I think with the situation with the predator, the hunt is the point, but it's also like bullying essentially because he's so advanced. You know, he's like, I'm going to kill this snake and deglove it because I like skulls and, you know, still incredibly wasteful. Yeah, he's not at that full craven the hunter where he does want to challenge himself and he does want like an honorable hunt. Like, he wants to feel like he's having an honorable hunt. Yes. But I but not actually. Like it's very reminiscent to me of the Klingons, where it's like, you know, you're introduced to Worf and it's like, oh, they're all about honor and all that. And then like you actually meet like their politicians and whatnot and what they're doing when they're not being war people and they're like, Oh, that honor stuff's just a lot of political propaganda bullshit and you're all a bunch of fucking hypocrites. Like, yeah. I protest. I am not a merry man. Yeah, the predator is bad. At least he's not a capitalist, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say with all those words before. Now, the real horror is capitalism. Did you hear? Did you know what any of the French were saying? No. Okay. I I know mattered. I understood yeah, that. I understood when he's like, "Oh shit, predator's gonna kill me." Yeah. How great was that? Like burnt forest, though. Like as a setting. That was like for a fight scene. Good. But the French, real quick, so the French were saying fuck a lot. They were also speaking very rudimentary French, which was not the same kind of French as the time would have had them speaking. But I don't give a shit. You know, I don't think it really needs we really need to give a shit about that because it's. Yeah, that was one area where I think the movie was not particularly interested in historical accuracy. Well, the point isn't, you know, the point is accurate about the movie. Yeah, the movie had no editor interest in humanizing the french 
Yeah, but there's the there's one scene where they're nor should it. Hot take alert. If you are listening to this in France, I love you. Yeah, I love you too because I have a very I have I work with some very fantastic people in France. But the I think the point isn't really even that they're French so much as that they're colonizers. Yes. And uh they yeah. are in that capacity infinitely disposable. <laughs> like and you know, they're not people that you have to root for at any time. As they're trying to clean up the camp and there's a exchange that they have about the dog where he says, Oh, j'aime le chien. Which he says, I like dogs, right? And then he says, they taste better than the beavers. Yeah. So, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad Naru just kills the shit out of them. Yeah. <laughs> Something I really like about the Predator design is that I really like that it also feels like it's 300 years earlier. That the Predator Society also advanced and got more high tech. Because I think there can be a real tendency and. You know, I think you see this like Star Wars, like, you know, so like Halo, when they talk about like the elites and their, the aliens and their designs, there can be a real like, it's sci-fi and futuristic, but it's also very stagnant and doesn't change no matter where on a potentially very expansive timeline you are. So I liked how much like, how much more low tech or more, more DIY put together the Predators tech was here. Like, it feels like they are still a few hundred years away from the helmet and plasma cannons that the predator that fights Arnie like has. I felt I didn't really read it that way. I just felt like this was a particular predator that like to wear skulls. But I mean, that's a good point. And in Star Trek's defense, the Klingons did change a lot. Those Klingons? Mr. War? They are Klingons. And it is a long story. The Klingons, that's because they can't fucking make up their minds. You know, I am. I am. What guilty. the fuck is Strange New? Is are they going to do on the next season of Strange New Worlds? They'll probably how be the like fuck are they gonna, some shit. How the fuck are they going to rectify being canon with Discovery and the original series? Like, what they don't know what the fuck to do with the Klingon design. There's like five years in there before original series will start up. So what they, they can... all got hit with a humanizing forehead ridge bomb? <laughs> Isn't that what? Ener- I don't know. I don't Sorry. remember. David had something. There. I think semi-related to yes. the movie we're actually talking about today. no we we need to talk about the inconsistency of klingon designs hey how do you feel about inconsistency of klingon designs well you know i i feel like that that it lacks conviction and the, the, what are the klingons if they don't have conviction <laughs> i was, I was well, the thing about this movie that like stood out to me i i rewatched all of the predator movies in, in preparation for this nice i i did not and even the 2018 one yeah I did not rewatch Aliens versus Predator or Aliens versus Predator Requiem. That's a separate. That's a separate sub franchise. But you know, I think that's yourself. This move, and th- I say this as a compliment. But it, having watched the other <laughs> Predator movies, this was like the equivalent of like taking like a couple of like Big Macs and like turning it into like gourmet, a uh, gourmet dinner, you know. Most of these Predator movies, and I say this as a huge fan of the Predator movies, like, there's a degree of, like, you know, it's drenched in 80s irony. And even the ones, you know, the more recent ones, which are not very good, like, they're still trying to chase that feeling. And this, it was very much like, no, we are going for, like, a straight-on, like, full, like, 
almost artsy predator movie (laughs) and like and i think that's really cool i think that's something that like a lot of these 80s properties you have to look at them through the lens of like campiness and the lens of irony and the fact that this movie is like no like we're gonna play it straight and we're gonna play it with like like a prestige kind of action movie that was dope i thought that was like really fascinating but I think that also speaks to, and this is, I'm going to pose a question to everybody here on the, on, on the podcast, because I've been thinking a lot about, especially franchise media, things like The Predator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a Rorschach test. And I think the way that people interact with it is based on how they were introduced to it. So I'm curious, what was everybody here's first interaction exposure to The Predator? My first Predator movie I saw was Predators, the Adrian Brody movie uh, wow. in theaters. And I enjoyed it. Like, it's not a movie, like, I love, but, like, <coughs> definite, like, three and a half out of five or something like that. I'm like, I thought it was, like, a solid, inventive, fun, like, action flick. Like, and at the same time, I'm like, oh, anytime the monster just stops what he's doing and decides to have a samurai duel because the other guy pulls out a samurai sword, I'm in. Like, I'm in. Like, I can't not love, a, I can't not like a movie where that happens. First that was your first exposure to anything predator. I mean, I knew of it. Like, and, and there was like, so like I saw the first predator not long after that. So predators was the first one I saw, but you know, there's a certain level of pop culture osmosis. Like right. that's there. I would like, give predators this, like it's not the greatest movie, but if your franchise is dead, the way that predator was at that point, Throwing Robert Rodriguez at it and letting him do whatever the fuck he wants is a great yeah. idea. Like, oh my that's god, a, like that's a that's a shot in the arm. If you're like, because like after the two Alien versus Predator movies, like nobody wanted to see another Predator movie, and they were like, well, Robert Rodriguez, what if you made this idea you had of just like prisoners sent to a space planet fighting the Predator and. Adrian Brody was for some reason in the the Yakuza. What I appreciate about both Predators and Prey is that they both feel like big budget movie versions of storylines that you would have found in like the Dark Horse Predator comics. Yeah, well, and I think that's where I first encountered Predator, at least the name and the franchise stuff was through comics. And, you know, there's the pop culture osmosis, but it was I mostly had heard of Predator through the video games, the toys. And the comics that I'd seen at my local shops. And then, I would love a video game where you like a like a new modern video game where you play as Predator. Yeah. That's, that's, all, it's, that's all all the Predator games have been as you play as Predator. Yeah, yeah. And I guess so it'd have like, to be like No Man's Sky, but with way more violence. I yes, either. that's what it should be. No Man's Sky with way more violence. That's the ultimate Predator game. You just um, go around exploring an endless amount of planets and killing everything you see. I of everything. I feel like this movie had a lot of really like solid video game progression with the Predator, but also all of the First Nation stuff was actually really good. And, you know, it's like the Predator really doesn't need to be more than like a video game villain at this point because it is kind of mythic. My yeah, like, experience with the Predator is the Predator, which I watched probably too young. I must have been in third grade, maybe fourth grade when I saw it. No, that's the, yeah. that's exactly the right age to watch Predator. I yeah. watched it a little bit older, but as someone who watched Mortal Kombat in kindergarten, at, at, at an age that I was actively watching Jesse Ventura wrestle at the time that you know this this movie was out, and Arnold Schwarzenegger had between three and four big budget movies a year coming out, and this was years before Ace Ventura, which has nothing to do with Jesse Ventura. No, 
I want to see that crossover. I don't. Yeah, I, I very distinctly remember there being some sort of camera that was uh, that came to my school, and it must have been third grade that was taking infrared pictures of kids, and everybody's being like, "The predator, and the predator, man, look at the predator." <laughs> it really like nails it down in time. We did love some infrared photography. I mean, that that was just such a great effect, like the infrared view. Like, what a great. Also, what a great way of kind of depicting your monster at a time when your monster is still invisible and also like ramping up the alienness of it and just getting the super creepy voyeuristic effect that has been tried and true since Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Uh, it's essentially the John Carpenter monster vision that they use for, for Michael Myers just to the nth degree. Yeah. My, my intro to it was Batman versus Predator. And so that's why I, I, yes. I, I think that's why I have a soft spot for Predator 2 is because that's the one that's closest to Batman versus Predator. The urban Predator. Yeah. Uh, and um, I saw it. I was pretty young. I was pre- or I, I read the book. I guess it came out in what, 91, 92. So I was probably seven or eight by the time that I actually read it. And I was just like, oh, this is like, it's like, you've got like the best parts of like a cool kind of urban detective story, but you've also just that like Batman getting like his ass beat by a predator and then having to build himself some, I didn't know, I didn't, it wasn't until later I could connect the dots between that and like Dark Knight Returns, but I was like, oh, he's pulling out some Dark Knight Returns armor to beat the hell out of a predator. Like that's like iconic, that's mythic. And so I've always really enjoyed the predator kind of being this like relentless force of nature that like you got to dig in like super deep to kill. And I know that was something that really plug plug. That's something that really informed like what I did on Savage Avengers, where I basically did like it was, I pitched it as Conan versus the Terminator, but we added a little bit of predator to our villain, Deathlock the destroyer because he can cloak himself. And, and so the very first page of the book is Deathlock cloaking himself, overlooking the city. And there's a real cool reason why he can cloak himself that we're not going to spoil here. So you're just going to have to check out Savage Adventures number three. Yes. And when number four comes out, we will explain all about that twist. But yeah, it's it's just one of those things that I re- that's the thing I like the most about the Predator movies. And that's why I'm a little bit of a blasphemer that like I like the first Predator movie. OK, but I think it's because like I love seeing the underdog nature of it all yeah arnold i love arnold schwarzenegger movies it's hard to view him as an underdog even in that situation yeah and so this movie really scratched that itch for me where i was such a great underdog story like classic underdog well i mean with the original predator you don't just have arnold either you've got a whole like cast of action movie stables you've got carl weathers you've got bill duke you've got jesse ventura you have God, Shane Black for some reason, uh, right? In there, so random. Yeah, I, script, he did script consulting on it. I feel like where the Predator kind of trips itself up is that Predator most works as like a deconstruction of the big macho, overly muscular, machine gun toting action hero that Arnold popularized in Commando. It's like, what if Commando was in a horror movie and he was fucked? And but. So you get him, like, taking out analogs of that commando. Oh, but the actual commando, well, he's still going to be too badass enough to be killed. So it's like it wants to deconstruct the Arnold archetype while still having the Arnold archetype come out on top. 
Yeah, when you talked earlier about the artsiness, like the weird, you know, this is a this is an artsy predator movie, prey that is. I resonated with that because oh, you were also talking about how how we are used to something of affects how we interpret it later with that Rorschach uh, test kind of thing. And for me, like I think about Alien and how the first Alien movie I saw was Alien, and how that movie is very different from Aliens. And so there's this sort of divide in aliens between is it going to be like alien or is it going to be like aliens and the predator did have especially in like the the second half of the original predator movie did have some really more like cinematographic consideration taken as opposed to the the action build-up plot vehicle that we were getting to in the beginning of the movie. And uh, I'm reminded of movies that we saw recently, like Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, where you have references to the original material that are, that have no rhyme or reason that are completely like over the top and just pointless. Like it's basically a collection of references. Whereas in Prey, the references to the original Predator were so like, folded in that you didn't really notice that it was a reference unless you had just seen like i hadn't just seen predator because like i I remember someone mentioned something about a gun in predator 2 and i'm like i don't remember anything about a gun and then yeah, I feel at like the end the of predator the- 2 some more predators come and they're like hey danny glover uh have a pistol you did good fight in one of us have a pistol <laughs> as a prize that was something that kind of threw me a little bit Tell me if I'm if I'm reading the movie wrong. So she gets the pistol, the French fl- flintlock, and then a bunch of other predator ships come down. Presumably, I guess that means they murder everybody and take the gun. Well, we don't I, know. I'm gonna say they, in a fanfic way, of me still wanting a happy ending for uh, Naru. Even though I don't think this, it'd be cool if this movie wants to do a sequel to her timeline. I don't think we need. A continuation of her story. I think they can just keep bouncing around. I'm gonna fanficy my way out of. She defeats two of the ships. One other. One of the ships is the last ship decides to just get the fuck out. But you know they take some pistols and some trophies. But Naru herself drives them away. Just some trading, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that was they just team trading. up and they just find more French people to kill. She doesn't like the pistol. She can't ever use it. So yeah. clearly she's got an affinity for the, the skull mask. Yeah, she tra- the, trades uh, it for a sweet-ass skull mask. Yeah, with the lights. Yeah, yeah I, I want to... Oh, I like this explanation better, that they just come and do some casual trading and then fly away again. Yeah. If we are following a predator pretext, then these pred- these ships would come down and be like, damn, good on you. Yeah, that's yeah, why... Because actually, yeah, in Predator 2... The more they come and they're like, oh, you did good. So maybe as much as it was a post-credits cliffhanger, maybe this is just like the ending of Predator 2 where more of them come and are like, you did good. But instead of giving you a pistol, take a pistol. Yeah. (laughs) Give a pistol. Give a pistol. Take a pistol, sister. Yeah. (laughs) All the thing that threw me was like, I was, I kept thinking about the ending of Predator 2 where I was just like, oh, they gave Danny Glover the gun as like as a trophy. And I was kind of like, it should have been that, you know, she kills the predators and then the other predators show up and like they just take the gun. But yeah, yeah, you know, I, I yeah, do I... think that there's a mis- like a missed opportunity that this franchise has had since Predator 2, 
where I really think Danny Glover should show up in every Predator movie in a completely different role with no <laughs> explanation. One other thing that I, I, maybe you guys would know this, the science or the background behind this. The one thing that threw me out a little bit was um, the flower that cools your blood. And I didn't Oh, like, is that like a thing? Or, no, I, I don't no. know. I didn't look it up, but I, I did. think so. I did look it up. Okay, so the flower that she is using, the flower that she picks is a marigold. Marigolds do have medicinal value, but it is negligible. They're mostly topical. They do not cool your blood down. Very few things cool your blood down that much that don't kill you. Yeah. Like, I love how line. instantaneous it was, too. Like, you just eat a bunch of petals. Yeah. And it's like, I'm so cold. Yeah, that that was movie magic. That was some MacGuffin shit. But, like... Which, is a little less, which I think does make that particular element a little less satisfying than Arnie discovering the mud. Yeah, in the first I, movie. I'm it, sure they felt it was too much of a repeat to do the mud again, but I was uh, just do the mud. It makes sense. Honestly, it could have been of a species of flower that isn't used anymore or is is extinct. I said I'll accept this as a no no prize answer. Yeah, um, saw bones. Let's get saw bones on this one. Yeah, my my biggest issue yeah, with this no, movie it, was the use of the Wilhelm scream. Like that was it. Okay, no, I have no the Wilhelm scream either. is also in the Comanche dub. I know, right? <laughs> like I noticed that. I'm like, because at that point, I'm like, you had to make the conscious choice to keep the Wilhelm scream in the Comanche dub. Yeah, I. What I want to talk about a little bit is Dan Trachtenberg as a director, because the man's only got two actual films to his name and they're both non-sequel sequels that take big fucking chances and have great female action leads it's this and 10 cloverfield lane which like going into 10 cloverfield lane having seen cloverfield is a real what the fuck like it's like <laughs> what does this have to do with that movie and you don't know the answer until the end you know they they play around with it a bit if you're willing to buy in it's like okay well probably this is what's going on but they don't answer that question until the end and that's i think both that movie and prey are really brave in this way that like he's incredibly patient like that you know they take so much time to set up naru as a character and to set up the rest of her tribe and these tri <laughs> these trifling dudes that are just fucking with her all the time and her her tribe that like just want to give her shit about about being a girl and that she's not supposed to be there and you know she doesn't know what she's doing and she's just along because you know she's following her brother around and which by the way those guys go down like chumps the whole lot <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah like, oh yeah they get absolutely wasted but like you know, both her in this movie and you know, the, the lead character in Tin Cloverfield Lane are both like really realistic female characters. She's played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead doing fantastic work again. And like they're both Mary very Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, they're both He's very great. well realized. And like that story also is incredibly patient with like just stringing you along and giving you bits and pieces of it as it goes, which, you know, was was an incredible feature, I think, of Prey that a movie that is essentially a prequel to a movie about space monsters killing people that is willing to willing to make you wait for the space monster for half of it, like fully half of this movie before there's a real like hand to hand combat issue. Yeah, and the first real hand to hand combat we get is like Naru versus another one of like 
her the Native American hunters, like one of the tribesmen. Are and so cool, so like, good. Like really again, good fight scenes. Amber Mid Thunder is so good at the hand to hand stuff. Like okay, the fucking fight at the camp where she's rescuing sorry and it's all just a fucking single take as she's just choreographed knife killing like five guys yeah and she's amazing like that was like john wick level choreography that was great yeah they had that single shot oh i, I was in love like it's my it was, it's jaw-dropping good like and it comes right off the bat of like the predator just busting out creative kill after creative kill after creative kill when he throws the bear trap at the one guy's head, amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was that was great. Also, I don't know how much of it is stunt work and how much of it is special effects, but that like tomahawk on the rope that she uses, like that's her like signature weapon in this movie, makes me so fucking anxious every time she uses it. I love and it. And they do it so brilliantly when she's like yeah. actually fighting dudes. And in that in that camp scene, she does the throws it to one side, hits a guy in the face, pulls it back, throws it to the other side, hits the guy. And I was like, oh, it's shit. so good. Yeah. yeah like, that whole fight scene is getting it so good. I really like that they, they took a little bit of time to like show her like thinking through like, how does this, how might this thing work? And then like showing her kind of like playing around with it and like kind of learning how it works. Like it didn't need to take a lot of time, but it was just enough that you're like, oh, okay, like, yeah, this makes sense. Like she's a smart person. She's smart enough to figure out the mechanism behind all this. She's probably smart enough to figure out how it works. So that's why anytime I see like the usual incel crowd, like freaking out about how could she figure out how to use this like tomahawk on a string. I'm like, it was in the movie. Yeah. I'm like, that's what they say that you say you want your, the, the, to see her training. This movie gives us multiple scenes of her training and learning the skills she'll need. I wish that there was a movie that we could see her and Sarah Connor and Ripley in the same movie together. And I feel like with Terminator time travel tech, that could happen. Uh, Again, I I just want to see Amber Mid Thunder getting like more great action roles. Yeah. Like she's great. Like give her a movie where she's a rookie agent who gets like betrayed by Charlie's that by her handler played by Charlie's Theron. <laughs> and then it's Amber Mid Thunder versus Charlie's Theron. Fucking give me this action movie. To get into the progressive politics of the movie, one of the big themes of the movie is underestimating, you know, or ignoring the abilities of your opponent. In this case, you know, underestimating a woman or un- underestimating First Nation people. So you have, you know, the tribesmen under- underestimating Naru. You have the trappers underestimating the tribesmen. You have the the predator underestimating naru and it's i it was some really nice storytelling symmetry and did have i mean you were saying earlier ben about how this movie the feminism of the movie was kind of surface level you know like compared to what last week we covered last night in soho which was a very ambitious deep dive and deconstruction of the male gaze and long-term trauma and identity and this movie, I felt, was a little more, you're a girl, we don't think you can do it, you, we can, you can do traditionally male thing, but then you use your own skills to prove us wrong. Like, again, I think it's a little, look, in terms of just being an exploration of deep feminist themes, I think it's a little, like, just surface level, but also, it's a solid, it's a great underdog story, like, it's a solid 
compelling underdog story. Like it doesn't need to be a super deep examination of gender politics. Like that's fine. That's okay. I think that's a place where, especially having Dan Trachtenberg at the helm, it's like intelligent to steer away from that because to have them sort of critiquing the like gender politics of people from, you know, hundreds of years ago in this, this nation, which is already being threatened by and will shortly be overrun by, uh, you know, at least as if not more problematic in that, in the same respects, European mass of people, you know, I, yeah. I don't think there's any, any place to be trying to like critique the finer points of that. Totally. If we even know the finer points At of that. hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. And again, like, look, this movie gives us a badass, awesome woman protagonist on like the scale of like of Ripley. Like this gives yeah. Predator a Ripley. Like fucking Naru is goes in the pantheon of great action protagonists. When I was watching it, I really felt like she really feels like she could go shoulder to shoulder with, with a Ripley or a Sarah Connor. And that's, I mean, no small thing. There are no shortage of uh, forgettable action movies out there where, you know, people are just trying to kind of do a star vehicle and, you know, people don't talk about them for very long. But this really felt like one of those movies where, like, there there was a lot of care and deliberateness put into it and, and into the performance and into the, into the narrative arc. And it really like, I'm still thinking about it. I mean, I saw it on Friday when it came out or no, actually I saw it Thursday night, right? As it dropped. And I've still been thinking about it. Cause I've just been so impressed. It really like, it's such a, it's such a good character arc and yeah, it's great for representation and it's great for just like seeing just a new actress kind of, seemingly coming out of nowhere and just really making this role her own and uh, just really just leaving it all out in the field and making it really memorable. Yeah. I mean, in terms of representation and, you know, the feminism and the progressive politics of the movie, I mean, I really, I don't have the, the knowledge to really comment on how well it's represented, but I can, rep I can recognize that there's a lot less exoticism going on than previous installments of films and TV that uh, discuss Native American and First Nation people. Yeah, I'm definitely no expert, no firsthand experience, talking as a just totally outside observer who does not know what the fuck they're talking about. It seemed to me like it would be like real good representation. And at the very least, I haven't seen any shit storms on Twitter, so that's a good sign that they did something right representation wise because I, I feel like if they had done something wrong I would have heard call outs by now yeah well and I also appreciate that they don't like there's not a lot of deep commentary deep social commentary other than the underdog story but I think that the story works also because it's really important to recognize that there's not a lot of difference between people in terms of like people have their their prejudices and people have their failings and people have their pride and their and their talent whether you grew up with working with arrows or guns it, you can be observant you can be proud you can be trying to prove yourself to your family uh, and i think that that's a really important point to make these characters as relatable and you know there's not so much i mean the french are 
terrifying and scary, but like there's still we know why that is a thing. But, Agreed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless of the context. Yeah. Not even talking about the movie. Ah, <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, I, I I think on that again, train, friends. I love you. I'm just a jerk. <laughs> they don't. They don't love you. I, I think. Like, oh, I know they don't love me back. I uh, trust me. I know. I've been there. Yeah, on on sort of that same context, I think, you know, we talked about, you mentioned how the the feminism is kind of uh, surface level, but this movie has an action movie heroine and makes no attempt to sexualize her whatsoever, which is, yeah, is impressive. Like, there's not even that weird scene with Ripley at the end of Alien where she's walking around in her ill-fitting underwear. Like, there's not even a thing like that. It's like, she is, there is never a point where the camera is shooting her in a a compromising way in a way that like she would she as a person would not want to be seen there are you no... saying we don't get any texas chainsaw style long tracking shots focused entirely on characters butts i was gonna go with we don't get any joss whedon shooting one between wonder woman's legs for no apparent reason bits but like yeah Maybe. like had a chance to do it too because when she went into that mud pit she was dirty as hell and then when she came out of it she was very much post washing which at no point you're no you're totally right and i'm so glad you're right like you know you hit the nail on the head like you're totally right about it at no point does the movie ever see naru as anything other than it's action hero protagonist yeah naru goes down a river in her normal clothes like she could very like they have every every excuse they could need to sexualize her to show her in compromised or missing clothing or bathing or something like that they don't they did they just don't it doesn't seem to occur to the movie in a way that should not seem as revolutionary as it does just sitting here talking about it also, the French, I will say, the French don't really say anything sexual about her. They, you know, it's dehumanizing and it is racist, but they don't. Yeah, they do not use the opportunity to have a the threat of rape thrown. Yeah. I was definitely worried about that and was relieved when nothing of the sort happened. Yeah, it, the like you said, it's, it's the kind of opportunity that we've seen a lot of movies would choose to go down that direction in a heartbeat and i hate it every time and i'm real glad this movie didn't do it i think that the most sexualizing that the french characters did was a joke that one of them said to the other one about the dog where he said oh is this one of your new blondes i didn't feel like the characters were particularly sexualized i mean tabe was hot but i don't i didn't feel like you know no, there was not any really any needless sexualization in this movie. He was less sexualized or, or, than Arnold. Yes, there was no needed sexualization, and there was therefore no needless sexualization. Yeah, they really fetishized Arnold's body. I mean, come on, that fucking handshake, like high five between him and Carl Weathers, where it's just like, yeah, yeah, closer on the glistening muscles, glistening yeah. those biceps harder. Yeah, like there's a reason it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Use that movie to make fun of like Mac being in the closet. Yeah, there. So looking at our the few things we haven't covered here, and we talked about a little bit about how this movie deals with race, how it deals with feminism. No real implication that there are queer people in this movie at all, and I think part of that is just the movie. The movie has no interest in any sort of romantic relationships whatsoever. 
There yeah. aren't even any couples that I can think of in this movie. I mean, I will say what we get in terms of class is showing just that, like we talked about, that th- we this movie does a good job of showing how capitalism was such a driver of colonialism. Mm-hmm. How the French also, have class. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, widespread agriculture might have been a mistake. I don't know. I'm not re- entirely convinced on this whole modern civilization thing. Well, the the difference in technology between the diff and the difference of how, like and how that technology is utilized, I feel like there's some class commentary there, and also the 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 whole idea of the underdog in this situation does have some echoes of class commentary. Yeah, yeah. especially pronounced. You know, I mean, even in the first Predator movie, you know, like it's still Arnold with like what was considered like cutting edge military technology at the time. Yeah, it's just like you've got a tomahawk on a string. And uh, and meanwhile, the predator is like cloaking itself. And, you know, I bet there's an argument to be made that even though like we would consider like his skull mask like to be, quote unquote, more primitive than like the predators we saw in the Arnold movies. I bet there there's a read that like, no, this guy just like is cosplaying like he has like a futuristic predator suit at home. But he's like, oh, well, you know, like I got to get in the character. For what it's worth, like for as an insight into the Predator's character, I did look it up and like the monster designer, they specifically said their name for this design or this classification of Predator. They called Feral Predator. Mm. I think they called they had some Predators and Predators that were quote unquote Feral Predators. But I do feel like this is a cosplaying predator i do love the one trapper who fucking takes a whole minute to set up his shot and then it immediately ricochets right back at him there in terms of okay i'm really splitting hairs here but in terms of disability the guy who plays Raphael, the guy with the gun is definitely wearing a mouthpiece to give him bigger teeth I don't know why that's necessary. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. And I will say pretty much like Raphael is the main source of the (laughs) Comanche dub not matching people's mouths. Yeah, well, and he's also I mean, he's he's supposed to be French, but as the translation would have him say his tongue is smart. The name Raphael Adelini would imply that he's supposed to be like Italian and is just like knows a shit ton of languages. Yeah. Along with the riot with these French bastards. I thought yeah. them being a feral predator was just a reference to his love of X-Force. So, <laughs> I mean, this looks like the predator who would be on X-Force. Okay, guys, all that aside, do we, would we say this movie's worth seeing? Yes. Fuck yeah! Yeah. It's on Ulu. Go watch it. If you, you don't can get a free, If you don't have it, get the, a free subscription and then you can cancel after a month, after the month. Like, Run, don't walk to your couch. You don't have to go far. See this Listen, movie. Hit me up. I will give you my Hulu info. You can use my Hulu don't account. Do yeah, don't do that. I'm, I know. I'm, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. I'm not going to share my Hulu info. On- I know I read. I know I, I know we don't have the biggest audience, but still going to advise against sharing it. Haven't you listened to Fishing Dave Batista? You can get all of them together. You can get Hulu and Disney Plus and I guess ESPN. I don't know who watches the ESPN streaming service, but subscribe to our Patreon. You'll get a subscription to Hulu. Oh no. CNN Plus. So we we do think all of you should check this out, but what else do we recommend people check out if they enjoyed this movie? David, did you have a recommendation for somebody? For something? 
yeah, for people who who like this movie, boy, I mean, obviously Terminator, Aliens, any of the previous Predator movies. But, you know, I think I think if you're a fan of things like Atomic Blonde, you know, like stylish female driven action movies, you'll I think you'll really dig this one. But yeah, you know, it's sort of the mashup of historical action. It, it really does feel like it's its own thing. For that's sure. Very. Oh, that's a very fun movie with lots of good action. Yeah, Emily, what have you got to recommend? Well, my I was going to make a joke and recommend the YouTube video Predator the Musical, but my actual real recommendation is to go, if you're on Hulu, might as well kind of walk over there and watch Reservation Dogs, which is a really cool, fun, and serious Native American-made and cast story about kids growing up on a reservation in Oklahoma and their their experiences there, and it's it's good. It's really good. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. Absolutely. Yeah. Second that one. Love it. And if, if you're a fan of, you know, Tego Watiti, he's got his hand in there in the, the writing and producing of that as well. So yeah. the, the humor is cutting, but also it, there's some some serious and poignant stuff in there as well. Yeah. He's mostly the producer. It's actually like a, most of it is the the producer, the the creator himself is from Oklahoma and grew up on yeah. reservation. So yeah, it's really good. Ben, what have you got? I am going to recommend the manga and anime Golden Kamui, which is about fighting for secret gold hidden by hidden in Hokkaido at the turn of the 20th century and it is another story full of really strategic yet low-tech action that also deals pretty heavily with the issues pertaining to the indigenous people of Hokkaido. I knew. Yes. Yeah. So if you want more indigenous survival action drama with some more great indigenous people's representation, check out Golden Kamui. Now, my recommendation is going to be for people who watched this movie and got excited to watch the Predator just absolutely massacring imperialists as they charge their way across the the u.s because this last week i finally finished the film rrr which is an indian film theoretically the name the rrr stands for rise roar revolt it is on netflix right now it is absolutely the wildest campiest most over-the-top action film i have ever seen it is hard to describe how wild this movie is. I thought it had peaked at two guys diving off of different sides of the bridge attached to a rope and then catching each other in a handshake underneath it. I thought that was as wild as it was going to get until a man threw a jaguar at another man in this movie. <laughs> I so have to see this movie. Oh my God. I have to see RR so much. Yes. Yeah. It's long. It's three hours and seven minutes. It does not feel a second over two hours, 90 minutes at the most, because it interweaves between wild fight scenes and Bollywood sing dance, singing dancing numbers. And right. like, it is so incredible because like, it, it's a story of two Indian revolutionaries who find themselves on sort of the opposite side of this conflict and end up not knowing who the other one is as they're both like searching. Like one of them is trying to, catch the other one and they end up becoming best friends not knowing who each other are and then have to are pitted against each other and then you know it, it obviously comes back around but it's the most incredible action movie that occasionally breaks into an incredible dance number all all with the same actors 
So like, I cannot recommend this movie enough. There's a lot of CGI, a lot of the like violence that goes back and forth between crazy martial arts and absolutely insane CGI. There are a lot of fake animals killed or injured in this movie, but never in like a mean spirited way, like in a one of these guys occasionally wrestles tigers kind of way. But it's it's an absolutely incredible movie. It's on Netflix now. I cannot recommend it enough. I'm really stoked. I really I've been wanting to watch this movie forever, and I just found out it was on Netflix. From what I understand, a brilliant piece of filmmaking that I also very much want to see. But I just do know that apparently there are. Some of its political messages are worth looking more deeply into and finding out about. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the final dance ever of this movie. They definitely have like a lot of like anti-British pro-India propaganda, but there is a lot of like these real people being sort of put on pedestals like, that, you know, I, I think as, as somebody who's seen enough of that on the American side may, may not now, be altogether, uh, necessarily how you want to treat your war heroes yeah you know when the main character changes into his final costume and it's a costume with a lot of cultural religious significance and it also happens to be in the colors of a prominent far-right party in india like apparently there's Mm -hmm. like stuff like that just based off some articles i've read like i do not know like i know nothing about the politics i just know that apparently wonderful piece of filmmaking but possibly worth digging deeper and making sure not coming away with any accidental negative messages. Yeah, he's, he's just again, getting around I, dressed as Rama for a significant portion of the end of the movie. So like, yeah, there's, it's a lot and it's, it's way over the top. So I'm sure there is some, some messaging yeah. in there that is maybe a bit stronger than what we would, again, what we would I, endorse if it were our own I, politics. Yeah, I don't know the politi- the political situation well. I'm still very much want to see the movie, but hey, we're progressively horrified. <laughs> Digging too deep into politics of stuff is what we're supposed to do here. There's no such thing as too deep. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, but they to, said to go ahead and wrap this up. David, can you let people know where they can find you online and find out more about your work? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Pepos D. It's my last name, first initial, or David Pepos Comics on Facebook. Uh, you can also subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at bit.ly slash pepnews, or visit my website at davidpepos.com. Nice. As for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at BenTheCon and on their website at BenConComics.com, where you can pick up all their books, including Immortals Phoenix Rising and Renegade Rule. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrealm58 and on my website at jeremywhitley.com where you can check out everything I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod, where we would love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love for you to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. Five stars helps us find more listeners. And thanks so much again to David for joining us. It was it was really a pleasure, sir. All, all pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and uh, excited to chat about this movie with you. Anytime. Come on back. Please. Yes, we'd love to have you back. This was super fun getting to talk with you about this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. And thanks to Ben and Emily, as always. And thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy, Ben, Emily, and David Pepos. 
All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.